Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's literary officer and your host, Jennifer Williams. Hello and welcome to another edition of our ongoing series of Travcast interviews with playwrights in which we talk with playwrights about their current work and also explore some of their thoughts about the art of playwriting and the part it plays in their lives. It is my um, very big pleasure to welcome the fabulously talented and personable Tim Crouch to our press office today. Tim Crouch is a UK theatre artist based in Brighton. He writes plays, performs in them, and takes responsibility for their production. He started to make his own work in 2003, and before then he was an actor. An actor. Tim, currently, as we speak, has, though by the time this comes out, it may be over, but he's been doing a play at the Traverse during the festival called I, Malvolio, which, as I understand, is part of a series of four plays in response to the works of Shakespeare? Yeah, it's become bigger than it ever originally was intended to be. I was asked in 2003. Things sort of came together. They coalesced in my change of career in 2003, uh, where I was asked by Brighton Festival to write a response to a Shakespeare play. And I chose Caliban, and I chose to tell the story of The Tempest from Caliban's point of view. And uh, without much thought, I called the piece I Caliban and uh, and then the next year Brighton Festival asked to do me to do it again and so I chose Peas Blossom from Midsummer Night's Dream told the story of Midsummer Night's Dream from the fairy's point of view and so that became I Peas Blossom the following year was Banquo from Macbeth and then there was a five-year gap uh, when I was uh, eventually had the time and uh, was in the right frame of mind uh, to start work on another Shakespeare play and so the series has become known as an I Shakespeare series. Mm. It's published uh, by Oberon as I Shakespeare. And there will be a fifth one coming next year as well now. So we're on a bit of a roll. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting. And so did, did that first one mark your foray into writing or was that part of a bigger decision at that point? So that issue about things coalescing or the planets suddenly aligning I wrote a piece called My Arm, which was the first thing I ever wrote. Um, uh, and that was me sitting at a table uh, over a short period of time, just trying to rid myself of some demons, really, that I had been haunted by. I was being haunted by as an actor. Uh, I had no intention with that piece necessarily to take it uh, to great places and to do great things with it. It was more a response to a problem that I had in my life and in my career. Uh, when that started to be performed in 2003, uh, at the same time, uh, the National Theatre Education Department commissioned me to write a piece, which I did, called Shopping for Shoes. And at the same time as that, the Brighton Festival commissioned Caliban. So uh, that's just a strange coalescence of, uh, of things, almost a sense of wish fulfilment. So I think if you say you are one thing, then people might start to treat you as that thing. And clearly I was beginning to define myself as a writer. Mm. Uh, and when that definition started to take shape, other organisations and other people started to sort of uh, invite me to write things. So, yeah, Caliban came at the beginning of the process. It wasn't the first thing that I wrote. 
And I've worked as a, an actor in Shakespeare plays, and I've taught Shakespeare. I used to teach a lot for the education department at the National Theatre. Uh, and I was brought up in a house with a lot of Shakespeare because my mum and dad both English teachers. Uh, so it felt very natural to want to look at the underdog's view on those plays. But there was never an intention to make a series. It was just, let's see where this goes. Mm. And it was a risk from Brighton Festival because I didn't have a pedigree as a writer at all. And I was thinking when I was watching I'm Malvolio and, and about, uh, I saw your piece, The Author, last year, about how in some of your plays one gets the feeling in the audience that one is being certainly asked to consider what one's doing there and almost, I don't want to say attacked, but there's some questioning of what what that position or role is as an audience member. And I guess it made me want to ask you, is it, do you, do you not like audiences <laughs> in theatre? Oh. Do you, or are you trying to raise awareness or what's going on when that's happening? Yeah, I would hope the opposite. <laughs> I would hope the opposite. And I would probably talk if I was fueled a little with um, alcohol. I would talk quite <laughs> vociferously about how the audience maybe have been less liked hitherto uh, by traditional forms, uh, more traditional forms that uh, place an audience in a habitually passive relationship uh, with what's happening on stage. So I, I am interested to see the, the exchange between the audience and stage as being a, a, an event in itself and of itself. Often with theatre, you, you don't consider the actual nature of of where you are, how you are, how you're treated uh, around the play itself. So often playwrights will have a theme they want to address. They will create a carefully sort of sealed uh, narrative uh, form. An audience is not considered necessarily in their, in their live relationship to it. Or, or how they are brought into a relationship with it. Uh, and so I'm thinking that that relationship should be explored or should certainly be open slightly for questioning. Uh, and that's not because I don't like an audience. <laughs> if anything, I want to, uh, uh, romantically, I want to liberate an audience mm. to some degree to understand that the act of theatre is an act in life, is another event in life, uh, as events outside of the theatre are perceived to be. And events outside of the theatre get the same kind of scrutiny. Uh, but often theatre, I think, maybe has had less scrutiny uh, in terms of the architecture, the, the transfiguration of space, the transformation of space, the transformation of performer, uh, the delivery of narrative, uh, themes that come through all my pieces are, are still wedded strongly to those unities of wanting to tell a story, wanting to get a group of people together in a room and tell them a story. But I also want them to be aware of of their position in relation to the telling of that story as well as the story itself. So form is a story as well as content in my plays, I think. And what I try and make happen is for form and content to be sympathetic to each other, to uh, be symbiotic with each other. Um, so a form will be suggested maybe first, or a content or a story, but then I think uh, I try to think long and hard about how, how best to tell that story or what story should be best told in that form. And that's just trying to, I think, encourage an understanding in an audience of their importance uh, in, in the live event that is theatre. It's very easy, I think, to, understand, to, to not understand um, that you have an impact on the event of theatre. 
rehearsals traditionally are about preventing the impact of an audience mm. to seal things, to replicate things, to make sure that the same thing happens night after night after night. Uh, legislated into my work as much as possible are processes by which the same thing can't happen night after night after night. Because I want to see an, another play during the festival that I think maybe you might have had some correspondence with the writer, a, a young Iranian writer. Um, yeah. who Nassim Soleimanpour. Yes, who yes. wrote White Rabbit, Red Rabbit, yeah. which I found to be a very powerful piece. And, and I was... I was just wondering if you could talk about that at all, yeah. um, because it, I thought that piece seems to do some things that you're interested in as well, and I, I, I was wondering what your correspondence with him had been uh, like. Well, I performed the play on Saturday morning. Oh, did um, you? I did perform the play. <coughs> so White Rabbit, Red Rabbit, it's a hard one to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tongue twister. Um, you're, you are sent a document beforehand, a one-page document that says uh, various things, which is thank you, and uh, if you make a commitment to do the play, you need to carry it through. Uh, it asks you to prepare an ostrich impersonation, various <laughs> other things. I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying this. And then you, uh, because any actor who does it will get this 46 hours before, 48 hours before they do the play. And then you walk on stage, you're handed a brown paper envelope, and in that envelope there is the script, and you approach the script. Uh, and this script has been written by an Iranian uh, writer, playwright, who is unable to leave Iran. Uh, he doesn't have a passport, because I think he uh, made some attempt to escape or avoid national service there, and so he doesn't have the means to travel. Uh, and what's fascinating about that is uh, the experience is that you are the spokesperson, the representative, uh, however many thousands of miles Iran is from Scotland, <laughs> there you are, you are speaking on behalf of a man who writes consciously of sitting in an orange grove in Shiraz in Iran, writing words that he knows will be the future, even though he doesn't know if he will be part of that future. He doesn't know if he'll be alive or if he'll be dead when that future is, um, is played out for an audience. And in that uh, play, there is uh, a series of conceits or a series of analogies and metaphors and a very playful sense around, um, around what we choose to do, how we choose to live, how we choose to follow or lead, uh, w where our freedoms are. Uh, all the time, those uh, ideas and themes are being played out in the structure of the piece as well how I, as a performer, what freedoms I have, how I choose to lead, because I am invited in that play to bring people on stage. I am invited to do various things in that play uh, about which I knew nothing before I started entering the play. So it's very political, and what's fantastic is I think that play will travel a long way and a far distance because I Iran will be represented in anywhere it's played. An understanding of uh, of the agency of a writer, the agency of the performance, uh, which I think is a very clear connection with the piece you talked about, the author, uh, about who has the agency in that respect. Uh, where are we? Where is the where is the writer when the text is delivered? And very starkly in White Rabbit, Red Rabbit, we are made aware. I, I am Solimanpur, I'm Nassim Solimanpur, and I am not Nassim Solimanpur. I'm addressed as the actor by the writer. I also speak as the writer, even though I am the actor in that performance. It's fascinating. And there, there's a, a line in that I thought was very moving about the, I exist as a playwright only between the 
lines on this page, which is the place for a playwright to exist or something yes. to that effect. And I, I was fascinated. And, uh, and actually, again, it, it brought me around. I just read your play England recently, which I couldn't get a ticket for <laughs> at the time when it was performed here. So I haven't seen it performed, but really uh, very much enjoyed reading it. And something that struck me as being so powerful about that play was the way where you exist seems able to change depending on the words being spoken by the yeah. actor. So it becomes almost like a, a vessel for travel. Yes, good, good. Oh, that's great. Mm. Uh, so England, I'm doing England again this year. I'm oh. taking it to L.A. Can I sadly. come see come it? To <laughs> Can I'm I come with you? I'm taking it just for two weeks to L.A. and to Santa, Mo uh, Santa Barbara. Um, and uh, it's a very important play for me, uh, and it had an amazing run here, and it's been performed over 200 times around the world. And it is about transport and travel and things and crossing boundaries and crossing borders. Uh, uh, it's performed by myself and an extraordinary performer called Hannah Ringham, who is in Edinburgh uh, this week with a, her own show called Hannah Ringham's Free Show, Bring Money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Hannah and I play the same character. So this is, a, this is again, a, I, I hope out of respect for an audience, or out of respect for going back to what you said at the beginning of this conversation, uh, to give an audience a more active role in in how a piece is created or how a piece becomes authored. So there is a character in that piece. Uh, that character is played by both Hannah and myself. It is never determined whether that character is male or female. The first half, the first act of that piece is a monologue, in effect, a first-person monologue. Uh, but the text is shared. So the I, the I is both Hannah and myself. The I exists between Hannah and myself. And that is sort of problematized slightly in the second act where we split, although halfway through the second act we swap roles. We are still genderless, but the audience then becomes personified in the second act of that play. As the audience enter the second space in a gallery, it's performed in a gallery, they enter not knowing it, they enter as a, as a widow, as a veiled widow, grieving the death of her husband, whose heart has been taken and placed into the chest of the protagonist. Uh, and, and slowly there is a revelation of what they are and who they are. It's a process of interpretation. We're in a different place. We're no longer in the gallery. We're now maybe 5,000 miles away in a Middle Eastern country. Uh, but slowly information is dripped into the audience, so they become more and more present uh, in their role and the sort of ethical issues of their role. Um, it's a, it's a, it, it taught me a huge amount, the writing of that play, and it was a very difficult one. It was commissioned by the Travis uh, for the Fruit Market Gallery in Edinburgh, where I was just half an hour ago, actually. <laughs> Were you eating uh, cake? I was not eating cake, no. <laughs> I was buying things from their shop. Um, and, uh, and it was uh, very uh, scary, actually, because it, uh, it opened here, and it was a big uh, leap, in a way, to, piece, uh, to make a piece of work not in a theatre, uh, and I was scared to hell, actually, and didn't know if that piece would succeed at all. And we were making fairly sort of large conceptual challenges in that piece. Uh, and uh, people seemed to get it, which is always, as a writer, you know, talking about that journey between where I am when I sit and write and where, where the text is when it's delivered. Uh, that's always the scary one, I think. It, it's funny here with Malvolio. Uh, it's a very different piece. This is a solo piece. Uh, when I'm working on solo pieces, by and large, I 
I write, I see it when I write it, and I very rarely rehearse those pieces. Really? They're kind of storytelling pieces, and I have an old-fashioned romanticism about a storyteller not needing to rehearse their story. Uh, <laughs> the, the story gets rehearsed every time it is told. That's how I feel it should be. So Malvolio last year opened last year and didn't rehearse at all, uh, but rehearsed every time it was performed. This year, because it's, um, it's cranking its profile up slightly coming to the Travis, uh, I spent two days with my traditional co-directors, Andy Smith uh, and Carl James. And we did. We sat and talked about it. Uh, that's kind of what we did. Uh, we sat and talked. Uh, and then I'm still rehearsing that play every time it's performed. Going back to that issue of wanting it never to be the same twice, that feels very important. We rehearse principles with the work rather than rehearsing the work, so that when we come to perform the work, we are clear on our principles that the piece, it's the materiality of the piece is open to the moment of its performance. That feels like a good way to do it. Um, I think if you try and fix things down too much, then things are reduced in that process. I've gone on a little sort of walk there in my thoughts. Well, that's I, I apologise. No, please, it's fantastic. <laughs> and do, does the... Does the text ever change during that process? Um, is there a kind of live editing going on as it's performed, or is it f is the text fixed? No, the text is fixed. Yeah, I think huh. that's quite hard some, for some people to um, uh, understand, uh, particularly in um, in the author, where there is a strong sense of we're just here in a space together and we're speaking conversationally. But every word of that uh, text is scripted. And it's complex with the author because the author says it asks direct questions to the audience. And those questions might provoke questions from the audience back to the actors. But the actor's responsibility is to deliver the text. Uh, with Malvolio, the same thing. It's been a nightmare. I carry the script around with me. It's a it's been a very difficult text to learn. And in fact, the day after the press night here, I changed the last line because oh. uh, I have been umming and ahhing about the last line. It's, there's a, I, I'm trying to find a way of leaving the theatre without the audience applauding. <laughs> oh. There's a sort of false applause at the end of the show. And then I, revenge, I, I take my revenge on the audience. And for, uh, for Malvolio, he promises there will be revenge in Shakespeare's play and in mine. I, will be, I promise, he says, by the end of this, whatever this is, I'll be revenge on the whole pack of you. And so the revenge that Malvolio has is to leave the audience. And there's the sequence of speech where he says, I'll leave you here. I'll leave you here with the lights on, sitting there with, the, with nothing to do, uh, with the blood pooling in your backsides, waiting for someone to show you out, waiting for the dust to settle. And he keeps going, uh, feeling a little soiled, turning to your companion and feeling soiled, starting to talk a little with your companion. He's describing all the feelings you might get at an awkward ending of a play. And then he says, just like an audience at the end of a, uh, in a theater at the end of a play, making a private vow never to attend an event like this ever again. He he doesn't. Wa he wants to dismantle theatre, and then he tries to go without there being a a, a, a conclusion to it. Uh, so prior to the well, on the press night, the line was: "Before I do that, I just want to. Sh I want to fetch something to show you." 
and he leaves with a promise to come back. And now I don't do that. I, I, I replace it with a line that I say earlier, which is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out when I come back. I expect everything and everyone to be exactly how I left it, which is a much more satisfying line. This is a roundabout answer to your question, do I change the text? It took me a long time to change that last line, but by and large, I haven't changed a thing since it opened last year. Partly because I want other things to change around it. Something has to be a constant. Uh, yes, the text is a constant, uh, but I hope the text is written with a nod to there being lots of variables around the constant. That is, that is fabulous. I'm afraid we are running out of time, though I have a million other questions I want to ask you, so I might have to do that after we finish. Uh, thank you so much, Tim, thank for you. speaking to us. I think your process and the way you approach theatre is um, is so special, and we're very lucky to get to experience it. Sure uh, I hope a lot more sure. comes. <laughs> and um, thank you, everyone, for joining us for another Travcast, and we hope you'll join us next time. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.